But mark this. Say mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, holy, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who as far as their faith is concerned are rejected, but they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, say however. It's one of those wonderful bridge words, isn't it? Know all about my teaching. This is Paul speaking. My way of life. My purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. May God bless the reading of his holy word to our knowledge and understanding. It is with a bit of a sober spirit that I come before you this morning to share the first of three messages on the subject, living godly lives in a godless world. Living godly lives in a godless world. I saw a post this week that a friend of mine had passed along. It says this, He who reads the newspaper knows what's happening in the world. He who reads the Bible knows why it is happening. Can I read that again? 
He who reads a newspaper knows what's happening in the world. He who reads the Bible knows why it is happening. The world around us is in great turmoil. I don't think that statement is a surprise to any of you. In fact, a few of you are probably thinking, well, duh. All around us, we see the kind of world that Paul is talking about in the text we just read. His letter to his close friend, his sidekick, and his mentee, Timothy. Paul and Timothy lived in a day and age where there was also tremendous turmoil, strife, and persecution. It seems that everywhere that Paul traveled to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he ended up arrested, beaten, and thrown into prison. I don't know if any of us have had that experience. But make no mistake, every day we are in a battle. We are in a war for our souls, the souls of our families and our loved ones, and the very soul of our great nation. And all of us are affected. Verse 12 in the text we just read says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be, will be persecuted. <laughs> Timothy's on the other end of this letter and he's, and he's reading what his mentor Paul wrote and he came to that one and he, and he went, yeah, I've seen that. He did. I've seen it everywhere I've gone. The Bible makes it very clear that we can anticipate just the opposite reaction from a world that is naturally opposed to God. Listen, friends, do not expect the unbelieving world to pat you on the back for being a Christian. Ever hear the term, what did, what did you expect? Part of this message this morning is to solidify what did you expect. That's kind of where I'm going this morning. The world is naturally opposed to God and his kingdom. The ongoing war against our faith has taken on a much more subtle, much less visible strategy than the public persecution of Paul and Silas and Timothy. And of course, the Lord Jesus. Yes, I said strategy. The war against our souls. There is a strategy. I believe that the enemy, Satan, has a strategy. It has always been his MO. Modus operandi, remember that truth? It has always been his MO to operate in the areas of misinformation, also known as lies, <laughs> deception, 
discouragement, anxiety, and not the least, creating conflict between people. It's been his MO. He is a specialist at creating temptation and finding weak points in its society to lure people into trouble spots. Weak spots. We saw that two weeks ago in the story of David and Bathsheba, didn't we? The enemy found a weak spot. So what does today's strategy look like that Satan is so involved in? In what areas of our society is there warfare going on? The enemy's activities against all of us. And how can we raise our awareness and therefore be able to do battle in this arena? That's where I'm going this morning. The war today for our soul is in battles and lies. The war today for our soul is in battles and lies. Here's a quick list that I created with, it, with very little thought and very little research. Here's a quick list. Number one, the battle of moral standards. Two, the battle for public opinion. The enemy is operating in the battle for moral standards and he's operating in the battle for public opinion. Number three, the battle for clear thinking. We spent a lot of time a few months ago working on our thinking, didn't we? Working on our transformation. And then there are some lies, say lies. The lie of selfishness, looking out for number one. The enemy is operating in that area, trying to convince you that you are the most important, that you are number one, that you need to crawl over the next guy to God. I wasn't going to preach these points. I, I was just going just to go through them. The lie of selfishness. Next, the lie that religion, especially Christianity, is irrelevant. That is a lie being passed around our society these days. That faith is irrelevant. That faith is dead. Number six, the lie of the reversal of right and wrong. Have you noticed? That right is now wrong, and wrong is now right, and clear is now foggy. Did I mention I wasn't going to preach these points? Number seven, the lie of stuff. The lie of stuff. The lie that more stuff brings more happiness. 
This society has perpetuated that lie for years and years and years now. More stuff, more happiness. More money, more happiness. Bigger house, more happiness. Number eight. The lie that there are no consequences to your actions. This society has been speaking that lie to our young people for years and years and years. And we are paying the price. No consequences for your actions. It's a lie. Number nine. The lie that God doesn't exist. And it goes with number 10. The lies of the Big Bang Theory and evolution. Friends, these are lies from the pit of hell. And, they, and, and, and they're not just religious theory lies. They are deeply affecting the lives and the thought lives and the philosophies of people. Deeply affecting. All areas of of our lives. <laughs> I walk I, I walk out in my backyard and I see I see these leaves and they were green and now they're orange and yellow and and then they fall off. And they do it every year about this time. That's all just a big accident, you guys. How can how can it be? That people can take this stuff in and embrace it and believe it and follow it and make an excuse for following. How can it be? I just... The lies. The lies. These battle lines... And these lies, listen to me, have led over a period of time to severe consequences in our families, in our workplaces, huh? in our communities, and in our churches. Educational institutions are overrun with flawed thinking, embracing deceptions, and lies and polluting the minds of our kids. Amen. They're polluting the minds of young people with lifestyle choices that are anti-God and anti-family. These watershed changes, I said watershed changes, in the thinking, the attitudes, and the choices of young people today are having disastrous effects in the society and in the church. In the last several years, and through the pandemic, adults under 45 have decreased in regular attendance at churches. The Atlantic a major U.S. news source trying to determine what is going on with church attendance writes this. Now this is a mouthful, but I want us to get it. The defining problem 
driving people out of church is just how American life works in the 21st century. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. Such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that don't contribute to one's own professional life or as one ages, the professional prospects of one's children. The Atlantic calls it workism. Workism. Welcome to a new religion. Workism reigns in America. And because of it, community in America, especially religious community, is a math problem that doesn't add up. Are you able to get some of that? We've put work in place of God. There's a battle going on. There are lies being told. Can nations, cultures, and civilizations change their fundamental beliefs and practices without suffering dire consequences? Question mark. Can they reject their religious heritage like a useless old shoe and still continue to exist? Question mark. Many in the West have swallowed the lie that religion and biblical morality are irrelevant, outdated, and clearly on the wrong side of history. More perceptive voices in our society reveal a sobering message about the tragic consequences of disbelief and distrust in God. Historian Christopher Dawson wrote this. The suppression of the family means not progress, but the death of a society, the end of an age, the passing of civilized nations. In his book, Inquiries into Religion and Culture, Dawson notes that the society or culture that has lost its spiritual roots is a dying culture, however preposterous or however uh, prosperous it may seem on the surface. It may look good on the surface, but it's dying. The Barna Research Institute is a research institute, a, a Christian organization run by George Barna. And, and the, the, the mission and task of the, Barna, uh, of the Barna Institute is to examine tendencies in our culture related to the Christian faith. Barna's done this for years. 
He reports a similar condition in the United States. I really respect Barna. I've read his stuff down through the years. And so this is a voice that your pastor respects. I want you to listen to this. The United States is clearly immersed in a down cycle. We ought not to be surprised by the cultural chaos and the moral disintegration we see and experience every day. You shouldn't be surprised, is what Barna is saying. In other words, what'd you expect? Such conditions, listen to Barna, such conditions are the inevitable outcomes of the choices we have made that are designed to satisfy our self-interest instead of shared godly interests. What'd you expect? I feel like I don't even want to go on. Let's take another look at our scripture text from 2 Timothy 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. And Paul says people will be lovers of themselves here. And I say... That phrase sums it all up. The, the commentary according to Pastor Scott says, that phrase sums it all up. Uh, lovers of themselves. We've talked about this several times in our preaching and our Bible studies in the last months. Lovers of themselves, selfishness. And looking at these verses, they clearly describe self-love, selfishness, not selflessness. And I, I, I did a couple of slides here, and I headed it at the top, self-centered, there's a description, friends, there's a description here of what this society looks like right now. Okay? And at the top of these couple of pages, I wrote self centered people, dot, dot, dot. Look at this. Self centered people love money. They are arrogant and boastful and proud. Self centered people. They are abusive to others. Abusive to others. They are disobedient to their parents. There isn't any of that around. Now, pause a second. Go back. Paul is saying, mark this in the last days. This is going to be the description of what we see. People will love themselves. And here's where I'm taking that description, but it's right from the scriptures, you guys. Amen. Yes. <laughs> it says they're ungrateful. Yeah. 
Most certainly, they are ungrateful. They are unholy. In other words, they do not follow God's commands. They do not follow after the word of God. They are unloving instead of selfless and compassionate. Unloving instead of self. This is Paul's description. This is my description. It sounds like I'm reading the newspaper. They do not forgive. They do not live lives of forgiveness. We talked about that so much in the last couple of months. I trust you're a person of forgiveness. Lives a life of forgiveness. I ran out of space on this page. The, the description goes on and on and on. Next page. They are slanderous and harsh with other people. You run into anybody lately that just ain't, that just ain't nice? Slanderous and harsh is how people treat people. They have no self-control. They do what they want to please themselves. Whatever, whatever makes me feel good. Whatever pleases me. Me, 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 me. My, 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 my. How about these three words? Brutal, treacherous, rash. Brutal, treacherous, rash. Daily, right here in our major city of Cincinnati, there are reports of shootings in the streets. Friday night, on the west end of Cincinnati near the soccer stadium, Six shot. One dead. He's an 11 year old little boy. But this isn't a surprise. This is what I expect to see when I, when I touch Channel 5 News on my news feed. This is what I expect to see every day. Brutal. Treacherous. Rash. Seems that that a quote-unquote mass shooting happens and takes place in the national headlines at least once a month. You can kind of see it when you pull, when you, when you go by your news station and you, and, and you pull it up and you, and, and you see pictures of police tape. Right? That yellow tape that they stretch across. Oh boy. Another, here we go again. Or you see the, the picture from a drone up above looking down in the parking area of, a, of an elementary school. And there are, it's full of police cars and ambulances and fire trucks. And you go, here we go again. I don't think any of us say, what a surprise, not in America. Battles and lies. Are you convinced yet? How about a couple more word descriptions? Conceited. 
In other words, full of themselves. You run into anybody that's full of themselves? How about this one? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I, not me talking, it's Paul talking. I go back to the beginning of this passage. Paul says, this is what it's going to look like. What'd you expect? And maybe the most heart-wrenching for me, the most personal and heart-wrenching description of all, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That goes against my grain, Steve. A form of godliness. Can, can, I, can I preach here for a minute? They dabble. Say dabble. They dabble in faith, in religion. They just stick their toe in the water. They may look okay. They may even look spiritual. But it's only a form. It's only going through the motions because they deny its power. Don't you dare deny the power of God in your life. Don't you dare neglect the power of faith that is in your life, that is put into your life by the Holy Spirit, by our God. Our God who loves you has put into place power to change your life. Self-centered people deny it. Doesn't make a difference. Say doesn't make a difference. Maybe you don't want to say doesn't make a difference, but I'm telling you, people think it doesn't make a difference. Form of godliness. Little picture, little, little glimpse of God. Little, little taste of God. <laughs> there's no power in their faith. I got to tell you, there's power in the faith that I walk in. There's been power to change my life. There's been power to minister to others. There's been power to be successful in so many ways because of what God has placed in my life. These folks deny it. Lie. told you I was going to preach here for just a minute. How sad. So many people today are such lovers of themselves, self-centered, that when Jesus starts knocking, they come to realize that their self-centeredness would have to die, and they yank their proverbial toe out of the water. Self-centeredness is going to die under the influence of Jesus. I said self-centeredness is going to die under the ministry of Jesus in our lives. They yank that toe out of the proverbial water as fast as they can. Then look at this next harsh sentence from the pen of the Apostle Paul he says, I, I almost couldn't believe it when I read it. He says, have nothing to do with such people. Oh, now hold on, preacher. Just a second. Oh my, but pastor, aren't we to pray for the lost? 
Aren't we called to love those that are outside of the umbrella of grace? Certainly. Certainly we are. I think right here, friends, what Paul is cautioning us against is getting comfortable with self-centeredness, getting comfortable with unholiness, getting comfortable with arrogance, getting comfortable with boasting, getting comfortable with conceit. You hang with folks like that long enough, it's going to affect your walk. Paul says, have nothing to do with it. You hang with folks that have that mindset, you're going to end up with that mindset yourself. I'm just telling you. Paul's description continues in verse 6. And I'm going to paraphrase this section rather than, than read it all. A paragraph six through nine or so in this way. By just saying that these lifestyles around you will start to influence you, your spouse, your kids. Why do I say that? Because they have influenced the entire society, the entire world. So go out of that description that just I painfully described in the last 15 minutes and look what it's done to the society we live in. <laughs> you can't tell me you can totally avoid being influenced. You can't tell, if you say that to me, I'm not, I've not been influenced at all by the word. I got news for you, you're lying to me. I think you have been influenced in some ways subtly that you don't know it in other ways when you look at yourself in the mirror when you really begin to examine who you are and how you interact with people and how you do the things you do you have been influenced by what i just described over the last 15 15 minutes sounds pretty bleak doesn't it sounds pretty bleak but praise the Lord, my next bullet point, number two, Mike, put it up there. Yes, there is hope. There is hope. And, and, and this, I'm going to read down through from verse 10, and, and I'm going to read Paul's words, his admonition of hope to a young man, listen, to a young man that he has spoken life into. Please listen as if Paul was writing to you. I said, please listen as if Paul was writing to you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, Paul, Paul here, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, the persecutions that I've been through, the sufferings, 
the kinds of things that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Somebody say contrast. That's a contrast life to what we just described over the last 15 minutes. That's a life that contrasts. I almost wrote the whole sermon around that contrast. But for the purposes of this message, I wanted us get, to get to, so what do you expect? Verse 12. Repeating that verse we read earlier. Well, first he says, Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. The Lord was in Paul's life. He was trusting in him. And, and Paul was rescued over and over and over again. Say rescued. That's what our God does. Despite the bad news. I gave you bad news. Now I'm giving you good news. Verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ you're going to encounter these things. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be criticized. As I said earlier, the world is not going to pat you on the back for following Christ. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Deceiving and being deceived. The evildoer, the false teacher, he's not only deceiving, but he is being deceived. Next time you hear something that is out there wacky in false teaching, I want you to think, that person's deceived. <laughs> that person's deceived. And we know who's doing the deceiving, don't we, after this morning? Clearly. Battles and lies. Verse 14, but as for you, say as for you. Say, as for me, as for me, continue in what you have learned. And have become convinced because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise. Say, wise. Oh, what a weapon! Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I told you there is hope. Paul breathes out some hope here. Let me feature a couple of the words we just read. However, you all know. However, I could substitute in the word however, despite all that we just read. Despite all that, that, that Pastor Scott described in gory detail in the last 15, 20 minutes, despite all that, despite all that, despite all that, you all know. About my teaching, Paul says, you all know about my teaching. You all know about my way of life. You all know about the purpose that you've seen in my life and you have seen. It's an interesting thing about Paul, and we, and we saw it when we studied Philippians. Sometimes Paul sounds like he's kind of arrogant and boasting. You all should look at me. You know what Paul's saying? I've, I've done all that I can do to live the life that God has put in me, to live the mission that God has put in me, to teach the truth 
it's okay for you to look at that. That's what Paul was saying here. About my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. Yet the Lord rescued. But as for you, continue in what you've learned. I want to pause a second. And I want you to think, since you've been a Christian about what you have learned. Continue in what you have learned and then think about what you have been convinced of. What's, listen, what you are convinced of forms a rock-solid foundation for you. The things that you are convinced of are things that you will not be swayed from. I like that word, convinced. You're not going to be swayed from that despite my description of the last 20 minutes. Huh? (laughs) It says you've known the Holy Scriptures. The Word of God's been sown into your life. And in this precious, precious passage about the Word of God, all Scripture is God-breathed. The Scripture we, friends, the Scriptures we study isn't just another book. We talked about this months ago. Scriptures are God-breathed for you and I to learn and be convinced. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped For every good work. It sounds to me, by the description of the last 25 minutes now, that there's some work to be done. Huh? There's some work to be done. Good work. (laughs) I want to be about good work. I want our church to be about good work. Doing good work. Good work. And point number three that I've put here, which really sets us up for next week, we are called to do battle. We're not to sit on the sidelines of this one, kids. We're not to just watch the news accounts of this one. We are called to do battle. So, beloved, this world is in a hot mess. We recognize it, and we stick to the Word of God, but there's work to do. There's a war to be fought. We are called to be warriors in this battle for the souls of our family, of our community, of our nation. The souls of our generation and the next generation and the generation of that that's just starting to toddle around. I'm old enough that I can look back a couple. You are too, most of you. The souls of our generation, the next generation, and the generation that is, ne- that is just in, a, in childhood, there's a war to be fought. Next week, we're going to talk about how to do battle. How to prepare. How to dress. How to fight. Father, thank you.